Good afternoon. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. My name is Anne DeRosier Grant, and I grew up in Browning, Montana. I am a member of the Blackfeet tribe and the youngest of six children of Fred and Ramona DeRosier, married 67 years this past August 2016. My presentation today is going to focus on my dad's great aunt Kitty, Catherine Mead, who spent 55 years of her life with the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth. Catherine Mary Mead was born in Laporte, Indiana in 1861 to John Mead and Mary Godfrey. She was their firstborn child, the eldest of eight children, three of which died in infancy. Catherine's father, John Mead, was born in 1831. He came from Conte Lu, or County Luth, Ireland's wee county, when he was nine years old in 1840 with his parents. County Luth is Ireland's smallest county by area, only 319 square miles, but it is now the most densely populated county outside of Dublin. It was named after Lug, a god of ancient Ireland. County Luth is home to the Boyne Valley, the Cooley Mountains, and the Cooley Peninsula, where there is a special protected area for flora, fauna, and little people, or leprechauns. The Blackfeet people also believed in little people and made them special tiny moxins after their extensive four-day tobacco planting ceremony, held every spring and planned for months in advance. The Blackfeet recognized these helpful spirits that aided them in the tobacco's plentiful and continued growth. County Luth is where the movie Braveheart was filmed, and its motto translates to equally skilled in many arts. It is part of Ireland's border region with miles of beautiful coastline. John Mead became a journeyman blacksmith after he immigrated to America, moving to Kansas in 1866, and settled in Olathe when his daughter Catherine was five years old. He operated a plow and blacksmith shop for 16 years where he fixed many a rim for prairie schooners, and in 1882 he moved to farm on 100 acres in Gardner Township. According to the Gardner Historical Museum, the Massachusetts Emigrant Aid Company, or MEAC, promoted Kansas at the time of Gardner County's settlement. The MEAC was a free state proponent and proclaimed Kansas a desirable destination. Quote, Accessible in four days of continuous travel from Boston, its crops very bountiful, its soil being well adapted to the staples of Virginia and Kentucky, and especially to the growing of hemp. Unquote. Reverend O.B. Gardner, after whom the town and township was named, was chaplain of the 13th Kansas Regiment during the Civil War. Jesse James killed Gardner in the fall of 1864 at Cabin Creek in the heart of Indian Territory, first calling him a black abolitionist and then shooting him. Maybe it was violent Civil War stories like this that happened during Catherine Mead's childhood that influenced her peaceful nature. Catherine's younger sister Ella married my great-grandfather, Fred Shoto Campbell, they had three children, one of which was my dad's mother and my grandmother, Mary Frieda Campbell. Incidentally, Fred Shoto Campbell was named after one of the three Shoto brothers, Pierre, Francois, and Frederick, 
who were the first non-native residents of Johnson County in Indian Territory, later to become the state of Kansas. They built fur trading posts in 1828 and 1829 in the area, which was occupied for generations previous by the Shawnee and Delaware Indians. John and Ella Mead settled later in Johnson County in 1866, first moving to Olathe and then to the Gardner Township. It was in Olathe where Catherine received her first Holy Communion when she was 12 years old from Bishop Meage during his last confirmation tour in Kansas. Bishop Meage resigned in 1874. Maybe it was this spiritual encounter with the bishop at the impressionable age of 12 when Catherine Mead decided to join the Sisterhood. Her story begins with a brief history of the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth. Sister Xavier Ann Ross founded the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth. She came from Cincinnati, Ohio, and she was the daughter of a Methodist minister. Pat McNamara's blog gives a great account of her in his piece, What Can a Woman Do? This was the question that her father asked her when she had told him that she wanted to convert to Catholicism and do something for God and souls. Like Catherine Mead, Anne Ross was only 19 when she joined the Sisters of Charity of Nazareth, Kentucky. Anne's father disagreed with her decision to join the Sisters of Charity and convert to Catholicism, and later he sent her a lock of his gray hair, telling her, You have done this. After teaching school in Kentucky and then getting sent to Tennessee in 1851 as Mother Superior, Mother Xavier Ross's small community of 16 were forced to sell what little they had. They were in dire financial circumstances and they wanted to leave Tennessee. They looked to the West for new opportunity where they, quote, most ardently longed for a place to evangelize the Indians, unquote. Mother Xavier Ross was determined to meet the celebrated Indian missionary, Father Desmet, when he came to St. Xavier College in St. Louis. Eventually, it was at his urging, and with Bishop Meade's permission and blessings, that Mother Xavier's small group ended up leaving Tennessee and starting the Sisters of Charity in Leavenworth City, Indian Territory. The Sisters of Charity left Nashville, but not before making a novena to the Queen of Heaven promising her if they were given a home in Kansas, they would say the novena forever in her honor. They kept the promise, and to this day, the novena has become one of their long-standing traditions. The Sisters of Charity arrived to find a home in Leavenworth City in 1858, where they set about to teach children, take in orphans, and nurse the sick. Within a year of their arrival in 1859, they had opened up St. Mary's Academy, now the University of Mary. Kansas attained statehood in 1861, the same year as Catherine Mead's birthday, and in 1863, the Sisters of Charity opened up the first hospital in a small one-story brick building. St. John's Hospital was built in 1864, the first private hospital in Kansas, and it was operated by Sister Joanna Bruner. St. John's Hospital was the only hospital to survive the Civil War, later getting divided into three wards, one for charity work, one for the public, and one with six private rooms. St. John's had two visiting physicians. The sisters established visiting hours for two hours, two days a week, 
and they posted a set of rules in every room for both patients and visitors, written out in beautiful longhand. Some of the rules were to be expected, like preserve order and silence, do not stand in doorways, avoid all unnecessary noise, and then some not so much. Patients are requested not to chew or smoke in rooms or corridors. Spitting on the floor is prohibited. No patient who is dressed is permitted to sit or lie on the bed. And, of course, passionate conversation should not be carried on. And those on religion and politics are especially to be avoided. St. John's Hospital was rebuilt and dedicated 100 years after it was first built when it was destroyed by fire in 1961. It continues to operate today. After hearing about St. John's Hospital, Peter Ronan, who was editor at that time of the Rocky Mountain Gazette in Helena, Montana, inquired about the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth opening a school in Montana. Father DeSmet made more requests during 1866 and 1867. Catherine Mary Mead entered the Sisters of Charity as a novice in January of 1880, just before she turned 20. It was here that she became Sister Mary Olive at St. Mary's Academy, a product of the organization that Mother Xavier Ross founded 22 years prior, built on the foundation of St. Vincent of Paul's complete and entire poverty, and secured through her predecessor, predecessor, Sister Joanna Bruner's motto, Trust in God and Beg for Funds. Mother Xavier Ross died in 1895. I have often wondered why a young Catherine Mead got or chose the name Olive. She may have drawn it out of a hat, as I read that this was something the sisters often did, or it could have been a name given to her. Maybe she selected it sometime after the Sisters of Charity erected this statue for the newly formed Mount Olivet Cemetery in 1884, just northeast of St. Vincent's Academy, and a few years after Catherine entered the community. Sister Mary Birchman was the Mother Superior at Topeka, Kansas at that time, and is pictured here in one of the first photographs of the sisters taken outside with Sister Mary Olive, who was never in a hurry to declare rigid rules, but gently preserved the ideals of the sisters' community, humility, simplicity, and charity. While Sister Mary Olive was in Topeka, She managed to tend a garden in her spare time so as to supply the church altar with fresh flowers. Two of her fellow sisters pleaded with her several times to allow their well-raised and good-mannered milk cow to eat the grass growing plentifully alongside her garden, promising her that they would lead the cow with the rope and watch her carefully to assure that she couldn't get at Sister Mary Olive's prized gladiolas. But lo and behold... The unthinkable happened, and one day, after Sister Mary Olive had finally consented, Bluebell the cow managed to eat the tallest one. It was during this time in November when the sisters were at early morning mass and heard a great commotion. Upon investigating, they realized an intoxicated man, carrying a well-wrapped bundle, had come to the back of the church, proclaiming loudly that he had found it on the bridge this morning. He proceeded to hand over the bundle to the nun nearest him, 
the Mother Superior, Sister Mary Birchman. After careful unwrapping, the sisters soon discovered that the bundle was a bright-eyed baby boy. They improvised to make a cradle from a clothes basket, and they wasted no time at all in fetching the priest to christen the baby, bestowing on him the name Joseph. The man who had dropped the baby off the night before turned out to be his father and was also the father of many other children. He returned the next day, and he managed to take baby Joseph back before then delivering him to a childless Protestant couple. As luck would have it, the sisters weren't about to allow that. After a few weeks of negotiation, the case was brought before the court. Much to their content, the judge decided in favor of the Sisters of Charity, and baby Joseph was returned to them for as long as it took them to find him a suitable home. Naturally, several applications were made which the sisters did not find at all satisfactory. It wasn't until the mother house in Leavenworth learned that the sisters in Topeka were still in possession of the baby that they ordered he either be brought to the orphanage or found a home immediately. The sisters reluctantly gave up baby Joseph after Sister Mary Olive and Sister Mary Birchman spent many a long night together comforting and caring for him. Sister Mary Olive started teaching in 1883 at the Assumption School in Topeka for four years until 1887, the same year that their Reverend Father O'Reilly came down with typhoid fever and suddenly died. Sister Mary Birchman died two years later in 1889, two years before Sister Mary Olive was made treasurer of the Mother House in 1891. Sister Mary Olive continued to do great things, even predicting her destiny. During construction of one of the buildings, she was out gathering firewood when a brick fell on her head and knocked her out. Upon waking, when the visiting chaplain asked her who she was, she answered, Mother of the Postulants, long before she was. She ended up having to stay in the infirmary for some weeks after that due to severe headaches. An ongoing treatment consisted of applying mustard poultices to her head on a regular basis. Conservative though she was, she opened nine elementary schools, six high schools, and one hospital during her first term in office between 1907 and 1913. Outside of the community, She was known for her love of orphaned children and saw noble qualities in everyone. As mistress of the novices, she made sure that her students were comfortable, but urged them to be faithful to the spirit and practice of poverty. She believed that good reading fostered mental growth, and to her, the spirit of poverty meant doing without extra books or returning books not in use. Works of fiction were prohibited, unless necessary and with permission. When she filled the position of Mother Superior, she was regarded as the core of the community, and she held the distinction of being the first in her community to receive a diocesan life teaching certificate. When needs were communicated, Mother Mary Olive wasted no time in securing support. Within a year of the Sisters of Charity's arrival in Helena in 1870, they had opened their first two branch houses of the order. St. Vincent's Academy for Girls included a day school for the boys and St. John's Hospital with an adjunct for mentally ill patients that later became 
St. Jerome's Orphan Asylum, was Montana Territory's first orphanage. In 1873, the third branch of the Sisters of Charity in Montana was established in the Valley of the Deer. St. Joseph's Hospital started in a log cabin that had previously served as the Deer Lodge County Courthouse. St. Joseph's Hospital also housed psychiatric patients until Warm Springs opened in 1877. By 1874, St. Joseph's two full-story building housed wounded 7th Infantry soldiers from the Battle of the Big Hole. The Sisters of Providence arrived quite a bit later in Montana in 1873 than the Sisters of Charity did in 1868, but a mural at Loyola Sacred Heart High School in Missoula, painted by the artist Hadley Ferguson, very aptly depicts the history through art of the Catholic Sisters' impact on Montana. When the Sisters of Charity first settled in Montana, ten years after they had arrived in Kansas in 1858, they incorporated. They wrote in their charter that their institution was intended to carry out educational, religious, hospital, and charitable missions in Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, California, New Mexico, Colorado, and lucky for us, Montana. In October of 1869, after Father DeSmet enlisted the aid of Bishop Meege, five Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth, three of which hailed from Ireland, and one orphan girl arrived in Helena to establish one of the first schools in Montana Territory. They had traveled 1,000 miles by rail and another 400 miles by stagecoach, four days and four nights, in cramped quarters with three men wearing buffalo robe overcoats. In a letter written about the arduous journey, one of the sisters relayed how, although their lunch baskets weren't emptied until the last evening in the coach, they were filled with dust. Father DeSmet later wrote that he had paid for their entire trip, which cost just over $800, with alms that he had collected. Armed with their predecessor's motto, Trust in God and Beg for Funds, they traveled around the state on horseback, literally begging for contributions. They planted a garden, built a fence, raised chickens, secured cattle, and they even got their own Sisters of Charity licensed brand. Settlers and miners gave generously. It was a rough life, but perhaps not as rough as the sisters who preceded them, during the earlier years, like Sister Mary Pius Black, who lived only ten years after she finished her noviceship. Sister Mary Pius Black kept diaries of her experiences from October 1867 until June the following year, while her profession with the Sisters of Charity was as a beggar. She traveled all around the eastern U.S. begging for funds, many of the miles by walking. She talks about how, in November in Pittsburgh, the snow was white when it fell, but black when it landed. No dust here at all, she says, only soot. On her 21st birthday in May, she was elated for the six cents that she was given, as she longingly reminisced about her home in far-off far Ireland. She died at age 29. Named after a nearby mining claim, McQueen came to be in 1891, a new home for mostly Eastern European immigrants. It was a slow start for this Butte, Montana neighborhood. 
In 1901, only about 15 people lived in McQueen, but its population gradually grew to more than a thousand residents, mostly miners and homemakers, centered on the Sisters of Charity's Holy Savior Church, convent, and school. By 1973, only a few residents still lived there. Within five years, by 1978, McQueen was completely deserted and later engulfed by the Berkeley Pit. Quote, it's ironic that mining helped to deliver these helped to develop these neighborhoods, and the birth of the Berkeley Pit would become the catalyst that eventually destroyed them. Unquote. In nineteen oh seven the priests and sisters of Butte, in consultation with Bishop Carroll, decided to provide one citywide Catholic high school for boys and girls instead of each parish having its own, and thus emerged Butte Central High School. The word central was key, meaning one, and located in the central part of town for all who wanted a Catholic or Christian high school education. At the time, Butte had the honor of being just the second Catholic central high school in the U.S. Butte parishes purchased an old rooming house for minors at the corner of Montana and Quartz. In September 1908, the new high school was open. 180 students enrolled that year and they were taught by the Sisters of Charity. The architect, Albert von Herbalis, was born in Budapest in 1861, the same year as Mother Mary Olive. He came to America in 1880, the same year she entered the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth Novitiate. Von Herbalis designed Carroll College in 1909, also called St. Charles College, and in 1911 he did St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Butte and Immaculate Conception Church. The Montana Preservation Alliance placed the St. Helena School, started in 1908 and finished in 1909, on its list of Montana's most endangered historic sites, calling the old school one of the finest examples of neoclassical architecture in the state. The Alliance said that the building served as a testimony to the days when the Roman Catholic Church provided much of the state's social services. It was demolished in 2007-2008, costing $1.2 million to tear down, and now it's a parking lot. So Mother Mary Olive Mead's various appointments throughout her career as listed chronologically. In 1880, she entered the novitiate. In 1883, she was a teacher at the Assumption School in Topeka. In 1891, she became treasurer of the Mother House in Leavenworth. In 1894, she was the superior of St. Mary's Academy in Deer Lodge. In 1896, she was the mistress of novices in Leavenworth. In 1899, directress at St. Mary's Academy in Leavenworth. 1906, superior at St. Vincent's Academy in Helena. 1907, Mother Superior at the Mother House in Leavenworth. 1913, Mother Superior at St. Vincent's in Leavenworth. 1916, First Assistant to the Mother General in Leavenworth. 1928, Mother General of the Order of the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth. And in 1930, she celebrated her Golden Jubilee. 50 Years when I spoke with the archivist who had been scanning the documents about Mother Mary Olive in Leavenworth, she told me that although they did not have a lot of information on her, Mother Mary Olive was one of the few Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth who entered the order from Kansas. 
Many of the sisters had entered from Montana. Mother Mary Olive also had two terms of leadership during her years of administration because she was the Mother Superior under the Diocesan Authority and the Mother General under the Vatican, so her position went from Diocesan to Pontifical Commission, which was very unique. In 1930, she celebrated her Golden Jubilee, a Sister of Charity, for 50 years. When faced with making difficult decisions, Mother Mary Olive never failed to ask for a solution with frequent visits to the chapel. Practicing the wisdom of St. Vincent of Paul, she encouraged her associates to seek light and guidance before the Blessed Sacrament. She spent 55 years in all serving the Sisters of Charity community, faithfully in various offices of trust and responsibility. She has been called a pioneer and the perfect religious, capable and courageous, faithful and selfless. She entered the novitiate in 1880, and from 1894 until a few months before her death, she filled an administrative office. Mother Mary Olive Mead died on April 2, 1935. She was 74 years old. When I asked my dad in a letter for more information about her a while back, he said that he couldn't mention all of the blessings he he's received from Mother Mary Olive because he would use up too much paper. He did say that he and his mother got to visit his Aunt Kitty when she was stationed in Helena after her younger sister died, his grandmother, Ella Mead. My dad's Aunt Kitty became his second grandmother. He couldn't find the letters that he'd kept that she'd written him throughout the years, but he did say, and I quote, I have been bombed, stranded, shot at, sunk, and survived World War II. I worked roadwork, building roads for years, and escaped many close calls. Plus, all my family has been greatly blessed. All of this I attribute to the prayers of Mother Mary Olive Mead in heaven. I think she was and is a saint who still prays for her family. Unquote. My dad still carries the sterling silver rosary she gave him with his name engraved on the back of the crucifix. And this nativity music box that continues to play, O Come, All Ye Faithful, remains one of his cherished possessions. Thank you.